1: Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.
0: Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities,
2: independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events, chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort style amenities and high quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing
1: opportunity.
3: Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 2024 Santa Fe, available early 2024.
4: The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello again, and welcome to the latest edition of the Book of Joe podcast with Tom Verducci and Joe Madden. And Joe, April is in the books. That's one-sixth of the Major League season over and done with. And I'm interested in your take on this. I'm going to go back to the days of Sparky Anderson. And Sparky used to tell people, and I remember him saying this, you really don't know what you have as a team until about two months of the season. 50 or 60 games. And he said, then you can tell the pretenders from the contenders You know, I think we almost have to update that a little bit. Everything in the world is faster, and now we have six playoff spots in both leagues. So maybe the separation is a little bit different. Um, But give me your perspective, uh, because as a fan, we love first impressions. We love to react quickly. This is all we have so far, small sample size. Whatever it is, we're going to make determinations. Give me your take as a manager now. You've seen your team play, you know, for a month or so. Do you start making judgments about what you have?
2: Well, um, this even goes back to my minor league days, um, believe it or not. Uh, for me, the first couple of weeks, adrenaline plays. And then after that, players play. So it's hard to really get an evaluation early on because just for that reason, um, some guys that had like mediocre years the year before all of a sudden look great and guys that had great years the year before look mediocre. And you just cannot listen to that at all. It, unless somebody's hurt, unless somebody's gotten old. Uh, you can't pay attention. I, I can't pay attention to that. So uh, it really comes down to that for me. Uh, it's an adrenaline time. Um, I think right now the adrenaline's wearing off coming into the next month. Uh, but I always thought that uh, players play after the first couple of weeks. Adrenaline plays the first couple of weeks. And then the other point would be I did not really understand my bullpen until after the first month of the season. You think you know what you got? Uh, somebody's going to not play as well as you thought, pitch as well as you thought, and others are going to surface. Uh, for example, the year with the Rays, I had uh, Joaquin Benoit and Fernando Rodney just coming. You know, Anybody could have had those two guys in the offseason. All of a sudden, they come to camp, and actually, uh, Benny didn't make the, the, the team out of camp, and then comes up from the minor leagues and turns into this beast for the next couple years. And I think that's the year Fernando set the, the ERA record for uh, relief pitchers. So I've always felt that you don't know your bullpen, at least for the first month, and players play, and adrenaline goes away. So that's that's how I look at the first month of the season. You're right. You can't get overwhelmed by first impressions. You cannot. If you do, you're going to make a lot of mistakes.
4: Did I hear you right? Did you just give us the French pronunciation of Fernando Rodney?
2: Did I? Rodney?
4: Rodney. Um, I love Fernando Rodney. I love <laughs> it. Sounded like that. Benoit and Rodney. I thought that was a combo that you had there. He's still pitching, by the way. I think because of Joaquin Benoit,
2: <laughs> I think it just morphed into Rodney. Sorry.
4: <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's uh, good. Thank um, you. Yeah, but you know what? Let's let's go with first impressions. I mean, listen, we all can be level-headed here and say, let's wait to make determinations and until they play, I don't know, a hundred games. We don't want to do that. So it's been kind of an upside-down year, so we're going to talk about first impressions of teams that we've seen this so far this season. So the world's a little bit upside-down. We've got three of the four lowest payrolls in baseball with the best record in baseball in the month of April. The Rays, Orioles, Pirates. Nobody saw that coming. And let's talk about teams in fourth or fifth place. Some of the, let's call them the blue bloods of baseball. The Yankees, the Cardinals, the White Sox, the Giants, the Mariners. So we're going to dive into these teams. I want to start with the New York Yankees, Joe. And obviously, injuries have been a huge part of their slow start. I mean, they're great when Garrett Cole has the ball. They're ordinary every other day. Um, let me start with Aaron Judge. I'm not sure if you saw the play on which he was injured. Aaron Judge tried to steal third base in Minnesota, dove head first into third base. He weighs 280 pounds. It, it was not a pretty slide. Kind of got his arms stuck underneath him. Hurt his wrist, more so than he came out with some pain in his hip. You you saw your guy in, in with the Angels, Mike Trout. He essentially has stopped stealing bases because he's so valuable in the lineup. Would you advise a guy like Aaron Judge, as much as he wants to do anything to win, to either A stop stealing bases and or B don't slide head first?
2: Yeah. Um Tough one, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, for years, there were so many, so many great players that were base dealers, uh, whether it's the Bonses, uh, whether it was Willie Mace, they and the family kind of. Um, Lou Brock, I mean, Lou Brock, I mean, of course, that was his game, but God, this guy can hit and he hit for power. He did all kinds of stuff. Uh, so it just gets to the point where now I think uh, everything is magnified to a certain degree. And of course, if judges out of that lineup, they're a completely, completely different team, not even anywhere near similar uh, what they can be. And it's going to be hard for them to overcome his absence. Um, I, I do agree with the the sliding component where, yeah, uh, you know, the four-point four, uh, four slide, slide with your feet first, really avoid any kind of head-first stuff. Um, and that's something you really have to get done in camp and over a period of time because um, naturally when you're competing, you're just going to try to be safe. So if he noticed that, if I just slide and, reached out my left hand, I have a better chance to get to the bag away from the throw. It's going to happen. So you have to nurture that mentally in time or in advance. So, But you're right about Mikey Trout. I mean, Michael doesn't really want to run as much anymore. When I first got there, we talked about it. And then um, pretty much uh, I know that he knows, uh, Like just like you're talking about uh, longevity, and he's had some leg issues too. It's really going to be better off for him. Um, I think there's still times he might go if it's really – absolutely in his favor. But for the most part, you're right. But yeah, uh, I I have a hard time asking baseball players not to play baseball. However, um, like you're saying, 100%, really attempt to slide feet first here and really avoid the head first stuff. There's so many uh, appendages, things that can go wrong in that regard. But it's hard for me to tell Aaron Judge not to steal bases.
4: Yeah, I agree. And I think Aaron Boone's in that position where he's had conversations, but Mm -hmm. you don't want to put governors on your players. Correct. Um, I'm I'm okay with headfirst slides, Joe, mm-hmm. uh, when they're done properly. And that's the problem for me. A lot of guys don't know how to slide headfirst. If you watched Ricky Henderson, who slid headfirst more than Ricky Henderson? Right. He would propel himself and almost glide across the ground. I, I see especially big guys trying to dive headfirst uh, and they're landing on their hands right. or they're landing on their chest. You know, there's not that propulsion forward. And I think that's where guys... Get hurt and then you have the issue of the guys wearing other mitts because you can get your your fingers caught on the bag.
2: once I had a great base dealer with Carl Crawford,
4: and Carl
2: would intimidate yes by sliding feet first. He came at that infielder like a freight train man. If I'm in the middle and Carl's at first and he's stealing second base, I promise you I'm not hanging in there. It's a big man, ran really, really well, aggressive baseball player. And I think for the most part, if you roll back the tape and I Hate to keep making the same reference, but Lou Brock to me was primarily a feet-first slider. I don't even remember if Maury Wills was or not. I mean, back then you were really discouraged from sliding head-first unless it was absolutely necessary, and definitely not in the home plate, which has become more prominent. Um, so yeah, I mean, these are these are considerations. You could talk about it all, but Carl Crawford would intimidate middle infielders, but with his uh, feet-first
4: slides. That's a great call. You didn't see middle infielders put that knee down to block the base when Carl's nope. coming in spikes first. Nope. Hey uh, right. Yankees, you worried about them, or are you just writing this off as a team that's, let's face it, really banged up? You think about their pitchers and Severino's out, the bullpen's taking hits. Rodon hasn't thrown a pitch for them yet. Um, any concerns about New York overall after these first five weeks? I mean, I like I said,
2: if, if, if Judge stays absent, yeah. If Judge comes back, they'll they'll figure it out somehow. Because of the rest of the lineup, will be more productive. Because of that, uh, they do need Radon. Uh They do. I mean, I read I was read right about it in the paper this morning that he's still out. He's still feeling things, and uh, all their other guys. I mean, listen, when they're healthy and well, they they're they're outstanding. I mean, I love their pitching staff when everybody's clicking, and they they need health like everybody else needs health. Bader's back. It looks like uh, I don't know how well he's feeling or not, but um, they need they need their full complement. They have been. Uh, they have been gutted a little bit with the injuries. There's no question about that. It's hard for any team to really withstand the numbers that they have, the levels. I mean, look at their lineup. I mean, everybody's always always yelling for change. It's not about uh, front office or uh, management or manager. It's about the team on the field. I mean, they don't have their team on the field. They're playing, they're almost playing the uh, almost half of the former Texas Rangers out there on a daily basis. So, um, just give them some time. They will write themselves. They need Judge to do that. Stat. And, of course, is a big force with that, too. So uh, when you start making jumping to conclusions again early in the year with a team like this with so many uh, attributes, just be patient. Just be patient. It's going to come back to them. But more than anything, Aaron Judge has to
4: get well. Oh, but jumping to conclusions is so much fun. So <laughs> let me jump Go for let it. Let me jump a little <laughs> Go bit here because I'm going to give you three teams. <laughs> That I would be yeah. worried about if I were managing these teams. Okay. Let's start with the White Sox. Mm-hmm. It, that team, to me, and I, I said it coming into the season, they just chase too much. I, I've never seen a team that goes out of the strike zone as often as they do that is consistent, mm-hmm. and they don't play defense well enough. Those two, teams, those two things scare me. Slow start. I'm not ready to write them off. Don't get me wrong. But, man, it's going to be an uphill climb for the White Sox because of the style of play that they, that they play. Giants. I look at the Giants. They went 11-16 and in April. In the wild card era, there's only three other Giants teams that started that poorly. None won more than 77 games. Uh, I look at the Giants. A lot of injuries right now. Ustremski out. Crawford out. I look at that team, and I say, where are all the impact players in the sweet spot of their careers? I'm talking about 25 to 30. That's the backbone of any winning team. Mm -hmm. Don't see it. It's an older team. Sixth oldest team, position wise, fifth oldest team on the mound. That concerns me. And the Mariners—they're—they're they're not a good offensive team. Now they weren't last year. They had really good pitching. They found ways to win close games. This is a team—the bottom three in the order—they're hitting 184 with one home run. You know, I'm not a big fan of teams where that lineup must turn over in order to hurt the opponent. And that's kind of where Seattle is. Yeah. Uh, so those three teams stand out to me, if I'm going to jump to conclusions, I think those teams, I would be worried about their starts.
2: Well, I agree with you with the White Sox. I mean, um, it's not it's not just right now. I've not been a fan of their fundamental process, but the way they play the game. They've had some really good players. They've had some really good pitching, even up to the, the time I had left, like all of that. But it was something about the way they played that I wasn't a big fan of. Um, they were going to make a mistake. They were going to screw something up. Uh, they were kind of cavalier, I thought, in their approach, and that's and, you know I'm not uh, bemoaning Tony whatsoever because I thought Tony really attempted to change all that, and he did. I mean, uh, they well, they have 93 wins this first year there, and then last year not so good. But uh, to me, there's got to be more of a consistent method of, with which they play, and part of it would be a more structured offense because when they you know when they're hitting they're, they're swinging at everything, and when they're hitting they're they're going to they're going to put up some numbers, especially in that ballpark. But in this day and age where uh, analytics are so prominent, the pre-series meeting, why throw people strikes? It's like last year or two years ago when I figured out with uh, Seager, with Texas, why throw the guy a strike? You know, I walked him with the bases loaded, but I was just really getting to, to learn him on a more consistent basis because with the Dodgers I saw him sporadically and finally figured out don't throw him a strike. So I don't have to walk him. Just don't let him walk himself if he wants to, uh, but don't throw him a strike. So the White Sox are really going to be, uh, sub- subjected to the the scrutiny of of uh, analytics and advanced scouting. And that's where I agree with you 100% and a more fundamental approach. Uh, the Giants, yeah, I mean, you are talking about the teams that are doing so well. You talked about a bunch of young teams with low payroll, the Orioles, the Rays, and the Pirates. And when you're relying on veteran, which is nice to have, and I like the idea of uh, salt and pepper a little bit of each, but when it's all veteran and things start breaking down, man, and you have nothing to provide that energy, it gets difficult. It gets really difficult to turn that ship around. And um, I could, I, I agree with what you're seeing and saying right there. What's was the third team again, you said. Um,
4: Seattle. And again, I love their pitching. I, I just, yeah, tough division. Do they have enough offense?
2: Yeah. Seattle. Yeah. You know, I, I was always surprised again, even they, I thought they didn't have enough offense. Uh, what the, my last second, to last year with the angels, we played in the last series of the year in Seattle they were going through all these uh, uh, award ceremonies and stuff, and damn, they haven't done anything. And they're they're out in home plate uh, talking about how great they are. Then the next year they did. Last year they did make the playoffs, which I thought was great. Uh, but I even then i I thought they had a, a challenge. They were challenged offensively. I thought they were pitchable, but I did like their pitching. I did, and and they had kind of everything going right for them. The thing I did like, I thought they played it hard. And they didn't quit, they didn't give up, and they were always uh, involved. And maybe the division itself permitted that. Oakland and the Angels were not playing that well. They were able to suck up and get their vibe going. Texas, so I mean, part of them doing well is the fact that the rest of the division was not. And I think now if this division keeps getting better, it's going to be more difficult or problematic for them to really do what they think they are capable of doing. So I think you're right on with all this. Uh, Giants maybe, yeah, get younger white Sox develop more of a, a structure or an identity and uh and move it on from there in seattle uh it, they have to play pitching and defense up in that ballpark man and maybe just run into a little more contact because that's although
4: it's gotten better for home runs it's still a difficult home run ballpark hey joe let's take a break and then when we come back we're going to flip the coin and mm-hmm. talk about teams that are off to fast starts sure are you buying or selling
1: And find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.
5: Ready to bring some spring vibes indoors? Bare Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen. And it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the Bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress. And when the morning sun peeks through your bedroom window, feel the warmth and comfort of a spring sunrise with shades like coral cloud and dark crimson. Whatever your inspiration, start your spring with a durable finish that resists dirt and grime to last all season. And let your creativity bloom with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. How doers get more done.
6: places.
4: Hey, welcome back to the book of Joe podcast with Tom Verducci and Joe Madden. Joe, there was a series this week in Tampa Bay with the teams that had the best records in baseball for the month of April. And if you predicted that would be the Rays and the pirates, go buy yourself a lottery ticket. Who saw that one coming? Um, I, listen, we're here talking about how much we can make out of the first month of a season, but what are you taking from these two teams, Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh?
2: Love it. I mean, you take Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh, and you know I could really identify what the way they're playing, whether it goes back to the 2002 Angels or even the uh, 2008 Rays. Um, they're, they're, they're looking in the mirror right now, and you're seeing uh, two teams with great pitching and speed um they're they're very athletic and younger they're like you're saying they're not high priced and they're hungry um it's very interesting uh how this is all working out it's probably it's not probably it's a big part of the race success over time they have not uh just uh parked all their money in one or two players they've been able to spread it out intelligently and constantly they're tilling the soil and coming up with people that nobody else are into and other pirates um i don't know this for a fact but i know sheltie I know the manager, Derek Shelton. I know some of the dudes that are in their office now. It looks like they're playing some baseball up there. They have, I mean, when you when you can't spin a ton of dough, you you have to be prepared to play baseball. Although, how about the Rays with their power? I mean, their power has really been showing up, but I think that will eventually, that dial will turn down a little bit. But when you can't spend a bunch of dough, play baseball. You have to beat the other team on a nightly basis, the one that is able to spend a lot of money or has a lot of money. And, of course, they're going to buy you know these nice bells and whistles that you're not capable of buying. So how do you beat them? And that was always my selling point with the Rays back in the day. It doesn't matter how much money the Yankees or the Red Sox have. We, we have to play a better brand of baseball on a nightly basis, whether that's catching the ball, pitching the ball, moving the ball, create, creating havoc on the bases. And that's what you're seeing. You're seeing baseball being played. And I haven't watched Baltimore enough, but I know Hyder, Brandon Hyde, their manager. He's one of my former bench coaches, too. And Hyder's into all this stuff also. And I know just talking to him over the last couple of years. They've given him a a wide berth in regards to what he wanted to introduce and how. Especially when a team's losing, front offices have a tendency to get less involved. And then when they start winning, they want to become more involved. So during that time, I think Hyder's been able to really establish Uh, a conversation and methods with those players up there. And that's great. So you're seeing young young teams without big payrolls that are pitching the ball, catching the ball, and they're creating havoc on the bases. So when you go to play more established um, veteran teams that are more committed to station to station and waiting for some three or four guys to get hot at the same time in the lineup, these guys on any particular night could do something to help that win that game. And that's I love it. I think that's great. And I you're right. Right on the money. Those are the three teams I had picked. And I really enjoy watching playing baseball right now.
4: Joe, I want to go back to your 2008 Rays team because okay. I, I always believe there's a point for good teams, breakout teams, when they go from believing that they're a good team to knowing that they're a good team. Correct. I'm not sure the Pirates are there yet. I don't want to go that far. The Rays have a pedigree. They've been in the postseason the last four years. Yeah, they're going to be in the postseason. They're going to win 95-plus games. What you're watching from the Rays is real. Maybe not at this you know, 700-win percentage. They're legit. Pittsburgh, and it reminds me again of your 08 Rays, look at the dudes they brought in to establish, and as you said, have a little salt and pepper in the mix. Perfect. Andrew McCutcheon, Rich Hill, Carlos Santana. I love those additions. Those guys can still play, but more than that, they're showing the younger guys – how to win, how to be a professional, how to, how to go about your job every day. I love that mix. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. when in 08, Joe, did you realize that this team, and I, I know how much you emphasized winning in spring training that year. When did you realize into a season, we lo- this is what we want to be? We're good. We believe it. We know it. I'm not worried about my team. I know what I have.
2: Yeah, it's Troy Percival, uh, with Floyd, and uh, Eric Kinski among the guys like you're talking about. You're right. Uh, it's really great recollection there. The thing I did emphasize is that we have to play every game the same, whether it's March 15th, June 15th, August 15th, October 15th. I did not want us to to learn to deal with or how to play with a, a, a switch, on and off switch. I wanted us to play the same game every day. Got to the point we had a big fight with the Yankees in spring training that year because Elliot Johnson pancake Francisco Cervelli at, at Steinbrenner Field during spring training. But you have to create. You have to create an identity. We were creating an identity, and, and during that season, also big fight in Boston, when Shieldsy hit um, Coco Crisp after I, the night before, walked out to the mound. I'm um, yelling in their dugout because Crisp uh, was upset that Jay uh, Jason uh, Bartlett put a knee down on him, on a steal, and that led to him attempting to spike uh, Aki Womura So all this stuff matters, man. So when you're building a culture like this in an identity, never run away. Don't run away from a conflict. And nothing's going to be given. you got to take it. you got to take it from these people. Same thing with the Cubs in St. Louis. You talk about the Rays um, with the Yankees and the Red Sox back then. So right now the Pirates have to take it. they got to take it. they got to take it, and they got to take it every day. And uh, they got to play their game independent of what anybody else thinks or says. And hopefully they're going to say they're too aggressive, they're playing too hard, or you know, whatever they're, they're, I don't want to say dirty ever. It's not dirty. It's aggressive. And, and hopefully people start complaining about that. And they're, when you, when you prepare against them, it's a, it's a pain in the butt. Teams that have to prepare against the pirates right now, pain in the butt, man, too many things going on. A lot of things to think about. So it's an identity that you, you create, you bring it every day, brother, every day. And that's where you're, these veterans, you're talking about McCutcheon Hill, um, And um, for Santana, they got to bring that every day. Those three guys, those three guys, when they just like the manager uh, has to show up in the coaching staff, you have to show up the same cat every day, especially after a bad day or after maybe two or three losses. You got to show up the same way. Last point. You know, that race team in 2008, we had two seven game losing streaks that year. And one was right before the all-star break. So you lose seven before the all-star break and then have like a four day all-star break. That's like 11-game losing streak before you get to play again, and then we win a close one against Toronto in uh, Tampa Bay. So uh, I can't I can't emphasize that enough, man. You've got to bring it every day, and there has to be consistency among the veteran leadership and, and of course, the manager and his coaching staff.
4: Yeah, it's pretty impressive that that team, which had not established a pedigree yet, and let's face it, probably a lot of people waiting to see the wheels when are they coming off? Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, not only survived those losing streaks, you came back from that even better. Pretty impressive. Just
2: one thing, quickly that, that whole year, um, I only went nuts one time. I went off the rails in Kansas City, and that was after a win. We'd send the book of Joe because uh, we started all of a sudden to, to get a little bit complacent with ourselves, and that would be the one thing. That Shelty would have to uh, be aware of. And so, and the same with Hyder, although Hyder came close last year. It's like when guys start getting full of themselves and all of a sudden they think they got it licked or wrapped, even though you haven't done a thing like you talked about, they've not won anything. They have not done a thing. So that was always, I was always guarded for watching that. I did, if that were to happen, and I saw it happen in Kansas City one night. We won the game, which to me was the perfect time to go off. You go off in a visitor's clubhouse after a win, on the road, of course, if you're in the Visitors Clubhouse, because I never wanted to s- soil the, the home clubhouse where guys walked in on a daily basis and you heard all kinds of crap going on or your manager getting upset. I never wanted to soil the, the home clubhouse. So you soil the Visitors Clubhouse. And that was a big moment in that year in 2008. So I'm betting at some point Shelty's going to have to like come and glute a little bit. Hyder might have to come and glute a little bit. Because it's some, it's just a, it's a human quality that these players are going to start thinking more of themselves, which is good, but not to the point where you become slightly complacent or expect it just to happen, without maintaining that same method that you've uh, developed.
4: Well, Joe, you your teams almost consistently played better as the year went on, finished strong. Mm-hmm. For these teams that I, I let's say underachieving, at least we expected more out of them. Uh, as you get through one month into a season, you're not where you want to be. As a manager, what's the key to riding out these periods where the rest of the world wants to be reactionary? How do you get your guys focused on, I don't even want to say the longer-term plan, but knowing that you're okay?
2: Well, it is. I mean, it's the old saying of the uh, mental skills and can revisit one day at a time. you got, you got to really get them back to the present tense. And then in, in a uh, short-term goal kind of a thing, it was like win the week. I wanted to win the week. So it was there was one year with the Rays we were 18 games under 500 and I think it was like 22 and 40 or something like that and by the time we got to 61 or 2 we were at 500 and that's all I was I was focusing on that to me is like one of the greatest achievements as a manager that I've been part of is being 18 games under 500 and getting back Now, we didn't sustain it we didn't I remember talking to Alex Cobb after we were like giddy about it because it was such an accomplishment it's hard to to keep your foot down that hard that long and expect something even better after that. But it's it's about the day and then win the week. And I this is something they used to do in instructional leagues. I would put up the week the week's record. Uh, at least I wanted a at that time we were playing uh, six games a week. At least the three and three, but of course you wanted four or two or better. When you got that five and one or six zero week, man, now we're really making some hay. So I wanted always to present it in blocks that was understandable and not uh, unattainable. So of course you could win the day, win the day, win the pitch, win win that moment, and then if we do that, we're going to win the week, and because it's a long year, you're not going to get it back all at once, and you got to be patient. But I wanted to give them an idea or a thought method in regards to how to do this that seemed um, doable.
4: I like that idea. It reminds me, I was talking to Dusty Baker the other day. And, you know, Dusty's going through what you went through with your Cubs team in 17 that year after, mm-hmm. you know, coming out of the mm-hmm. blocks. There's, it's human nature, man. There's just a little mm-hmm. bit of an edge that's not quite there. He's also missing Jose Altuve, who's kind of the, the spirit backbone of that team. But mm-hmm. he said, whatever's going on, he said, I want my team to try to get to 15 wins each month. And the Astros somehow scraped and clawed and got to 15. I mean, just do the math. 15 times six months, and you're looking at 90 wins, and you're in the postseason if you win 15 games per month. So it's it's an interesting way. I like the idea of breaking it up, as you said, even on a weekly basis. No, I mean the monthly thing. No, the monthly thing, yeah, the same thing.
2: I, I always, at the end of the month, man, I wanted to win the month. I wanted to win the month. And
4: and what Dusty's saying,
2: 100% on board with that, 100%.
4: Well, Joe, we've actually uh, heard from some listeners who are wondering what happened to our talk about Rock and roll, and cars. Mm, mm, so, mm. Uh, and they were not your family members either. <laughs> These are actual listeners. So, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna give you a little taste of that. Okay, a little old school book of Joe coming up right after this break.
0: Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury, with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything, for every passenger, feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
1: Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not with 80 Acres Farms.
5: Bear Premium Plus Paint is here to make it happen, and it's starting at only $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Picture your kitchen coming to life by adding a pop of blue with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake. And let's not forget your living room. Picture it drenched in the lush, verdant tones of Amazon jungle, breathing new life into your space with every glance. Head into your bathroom and let the cool breeze of sea glass wash away all your stress.
3: sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.
4: Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast. I don't even know if I can call it old school. I don't think we've been around long enough to call it old school, but either way, um, you got me thinking, Joe, when you mentioned Linda Ronstadt. Do you remember that Oh yeah, the voice my of favorite. Linda Ronstadt. My favorite. I mean, for what moments does Linda Ronstadt basically get the ball to start the game for you? Uh, what moment? I mean, I mean, down moment, up moment. You need to be picked up. You're, you're driving. You're you're chilling. What, what what's the Ronstadt moment, or is it any moment? Uh, it's re- it's like in-
2: introspective. I mean, I'm in my like my little studio here, and I got these big Serwin Vegas speakers right here next to to my right circa 1980 with a great receiver. And I pump my Bluetooth music through there and sitting on these two orange chairs facing the speakers. If I just want to reflect, I just want to reflect. uh, I put Linda Ronstadt on uh, because the speakers are magnificent. And uh, I get to listen to her magnificent voice, whether it's was it canciones de mi papa? Like when she does her Spanish music, I don't understand all the words, but her voice is incredible. Sometimes she goes operatic; she's done that in the past, or the Stone Ponies, or just by herself. Um, long, long time. I mean, I could sit and listen to this woman. Uh, she she gets she just gets to me to the most, to your soul and your spirit. It's either you know. Blue Bayou rock and roll kind of stuff or whatever, but she's got the voice of a generation generations. I, I know people argue that a little bit, but she's my girl. I've been wanting to meet her. I know she's, uh, she's had like a little bit of a Parkinson's issue, I think. And when I got to the angels, I asked Artie Moreno because he's from Tucson. I said, you know, the Ronstadt family, I wanted to know if he had an in with Linda Ronstadt. I didn't really realize how she was not well at that time, but there's a couple great specials out there that I've watched, um, specifically only about her I'm telling you folks, do yourself a favor. Um, interesting woman, tremendous woman. And, uh, to me, the best voice, uh, I mean, Lady Gaga is like right there, right now. She's my, uh, contemporary version, but, um, God bless. I love Linda Ronstadt.
4: Can I give you my Ronstadt? Yeah. And, and they, and they actually <laughs> recorded an album together. Emmy Lou Harris. Oh, yeah. The Western oh, yeah. Wall. With him, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, same kind of him, deal. She's got that yeah. voice that it just mm-hmm. gets into the, your substrata, down to your soul. There's something about this, this plaintiveness to it that's like whatever steel guitar strings you got way down in your soul, she's going to pluck them. She's going to tw- tweak them. Yeah. And for me, I, I, I'll pop on her live album, Spy Boy. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, it's like being in church. And uh, there's something about those voices.
2: I like a dark room. I like a dark room. I like at night. I like a dark, just like I've told you in the past, driving my car, car with a good stereo system at night, Springsteen. He gets me right. Um, That would get me right. Uh, Any Springsteen, like I've talked about all those different ones, but I love loud music at night in a dark setting, whether it's in my car, (coughs) excuse me, or sitting right here, with the show in Vegas in my face. Um, there's so many, but yeah, that it gets me right.
4: How about a Detroit version of Springsteen, Bob Seeger? You talk about turning it up, yeah, driving in the car at night. Yeah. I mean yes. it's sort of like the old kind of a Chris Stapleton. It's a combination of whiskey and black leather in that voice <laughs> um, roll me away. I can play that over and over. There's certain classics that you know, you get tired of there's some songs I don't want to hear a lot of times because kind of the magic goes away Sure. and then there's others never gets old.
2: Agreed. I mean, there's, there's the group that uh, really come back at you and uh, you're going to Detroit, but could I just flip over the, to the, over the pond? I mean, Elton John does that for me because of Lafayette college because of 1971, 72, 73. Uh, when Year song came out, and then eventually Levon and Tiny Dancer, <clears throat> Madman Across the Water, um, Tumbleweed Connection, those songs are really not only wonderful and lyrical, and uh, but visceral for me because it's a time period that I was growing up, and I was uh, you know going from Hazleton to Easton to Lafayette College to to Scranton Red Sox to the Boulder Collegians to the Quad City Angels and. This, these, this music, when this comes on, whenever, I'll stop. I mean, like you were suggesting, these never get tiring to me. This, I could hear every day and it still stops me and it regenerates or generates uh, moments in time that are really valuable to me that kind of shaped and formed me. So, yeah, uh, you talk about Seeger, but I'll tell you, Elton John, for me, in that, that early 70s period, more than anything that time, And then Funeral for a Friend was a song we played. They played every night at closing time at the Dark Horse in Boulder, Colorado in 1975. And I could see Manny Crespo sitting up on a a barber's chair up on this makeshift stage. And the well drinks were 69 cents. And that included Chevis Regal. And I would sit there and I would stay there all to that very last note from Funeral for a Friend, which still till, till, till today. I will listen to that song from beginning to end. So uh, you could talk about singer, but Elton John is the one that really uh, captures my uh, imagination, my my visceral component of my being. I mean, because that brings me back to where all this began.
4: Well, those those songs, man, those were compositions, musical and literal compositions. Elton and Bernie Taupin, the lyrics, just the. I mean, they were like great novels. Very few of those songs get made these days. Of course, everything has to be shorter, but it's probably reason why you never get tired of it as well. They're, they're just so rich. And by the way, unfortunately, we had to say goodbye to Gordon Lightfoot yeah. this week. How about that? Canadian Troubadour. What a voice. Uh, what a musical storyteller. I mean, the guy wrote a, a song about a metal ore cargo ship that sunk on the Great Lakes, and it became like a number one hit on pop radio. That tells you how good Gordon Light's voice uh and writing was. Yeah. So uh Gordon Lightfoot, did he get on your radar at all over those years? Oh yeah.
2: Oh yeah. And I, I would imagine as you're talking about that and it's just trying to tie things or just tying things together because it happens. I would almost bet when he sat down to write that it was one true sentence. Like he was sitting down, I'm gonna write a song about this cargo ship on the lake, right? And how do you do that? And it just had to like start with
4: one sentence and then everything begat or got the next sentence. Well, I'll tell you one thing he did do, Joe, and this speaks to his personality got- before he recorded that <laughs> song. He actually spoke with surviving members of the families just to make sure it was cool that he was writing this song that I mean, I don't think he under- expected it to be as big as it was, but wanted to honor the privacy and the grieving of the families he tracked them down and said this is what i want to do uh that to me speaks volumes
2: i love it i didn't know that of course i didn't know that but i love that
4: well gordon lightfoot if you haven't heard of him check him out i was talking to nick pavetta the other day boston red sox pitcher he's canadian had not heard of gordon lightfoot of course completely different era i get it but um Man, he's sort of like a, a Bob Dylan of Canada, if you ask me. It's, it's the nation holds his his work very dearly and very proudly as well. They should. Awesome, Joe. Well, this has been fascinating. We talked a lot about fast starts, impressions, slow starts of teams. Um, give me one team as we get out of here that you've got your eye on that you think is going to hold up and be real. Like a dark horse team this year that's not going to fade. I'm not saying they're in the postseason, but you think at least in it for the long haul.
2: Baltimore. And because they did it last year. You know, they got close last year. They smelled it. They smelled it last year. Um, they've, they're they slowly and they steadily have been developing their culture and their method of operation. Uh, and I know the people that are running it, and I kind of like that a lot. I know Brendan Hyde well. Uh, Hyder is a man's man. He's not, uh, he knows what he believes in. He'll have tough conversations. Um, they got some of the better young players in the American League. I think they're going to pitch enough. Um, so I don't think they're going to fade. Uh, and again, I think a lot has to do with what they had done last year. That matters. It's no different than, he went to Rays in 2007. I know the record wasn't good, but after we got Danny Wheeler at the end of that year and they go into the next season uh, with the new name, went from the Devil Rays to the Rays, uh, a lot had been uh, built in that 2007 season that permitted 2008. And then with the 15, wow, the 15 Cubs. I mean, that was a big surprise. Nobody even talks about that. But uh, if you look at that roster and how that team was built and the names of that group and the fact that we went to the NLCS, that's pretty impressive. But then you go to the World Series next year based on what you built in 15. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about the Orioles. I mean, I, I listen, I like what the Pirates are doing. I Anytime you see speed in youth and pitching, I'm in. I mean, that's a, it's hard to, to go wrong with that. Of course, you've got to catch the ball. And I think if you're athletic and you're quick, you're going to get guys in position to, to catch the ball. But pitching and speed is very exciting to me because, and again, if you're speed and athletic, you've probably got some pop. You're annoying on a daily basis. So I like the Pirates too, but I still think that what, had, what Baltimore had done last year bleeds into this
4: year. I'm with you on Baltimore. Um, and I love your reasons there, and especially after watching the way I call it ready baseball. The, the new way of playing baseball has played out so far in the first month of the season. I'm talking about the new rules, obviously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You need speed. You need athleticism. You need range on defense. Younger guys tend to be healthier than older guys. I, I think the rules, the game literally is played faster, and we've seen older pitchers have a harder time with right. the pace of the game. You know, even your aerobic level is being tested as a pitcher now. You cannot slow the game down. Stolen bases now are – people are saying it's too easy. It's not too easy, folks. The number of stolen bases, it's the same as what we saw in 1997. It's not like it's a joke. But the the percentage success rate is higher than it's ever been. It's over 80%. And I think teams will start running more. And teams like Baltimore, teams like Arizona, teams like Pittsburgh – can leverage these rules better than the guys with the big bodies, the older players. Uh, I'm going with the Orioles as well, Joe. I think it's a great pick. I like what I see. You've got Rushman. You've got Henderson. uh, Two franchise players up the middle. They should get John Means back sometime during the middle of the season from the Tommy John surgery. A lot of good things happening for the Baltimore Orioles. Great call.
2: Let me ask you this, too, about uh, the running game. Has there been an uptick in pitch outs? I haven't noticed that. Is anybody pitching out or is it still
4: um, non-existent? Yeah, I I saw Bob Melvin call a pitch out. Um, It's rare. I mean, we went from none, as you know, Mm -hmm. to a rare pitch out. Um, We're not seeing it the way we did back in the 80s. Truth be told, I've had it even the last couple years, but I've
2: had a disguised pitch out, right? Because I didn't want anybody knowing what we're doing, and it wasn't an elevated pitch. I wanted my catcher off the plate um, so that he did not have to come out of his stance. So we would call a pitch out, and the catcher would sit noticeably outside. Now, if somebody's watching on TV, they might come back to the dugout and tell whomever that was a pitch out, and that's possible. But um, I still, I for me, under the circumstances today. I think I believe that I would want more noticeable pitch outs to give teams something to think about so that they would not be as um, readily uh, just wanting to run. And what's the deal? I mean, uh, if teams are going to easily steal the bag, why would you not pitch out even after your two throw overs knowing that they're going to run? And really, like if you do advanced scouting, um, uh, putting that in play, or even if you're wrong, again, that prevents them. So, There's, there's the seed of doubt that needs to be planted here somewhere. And I'm just curious as this moves further along, if you're going to see some natural pitch outs again. And then like we've talked about, I don't even know this, but the back picks from the catcher to first base, like this is where Wilson Contreras could really help a group. I know that from, um, and then Dave, David Ross back in the day. So pitch outs, back picks, whatever, there's gotta be a little bit more creative methods or more aggressive methods taking some chances to make the other team
4: think about it a little bit and not be so cavalier in regards to running without worrying. Yeah, it's just cool to see that the stolen base itself is is back in as even a threat. You know, uh, I, you know after the first disengagement, I start thinking, you know, the guy should run next pitch. After two straight or two in a plate appearance, I, I would run all the time on first move. Yep. I'm surprised that hasn't happened more often. But even the idea that, hey, this guy might be running yeah oh man it's 1980s all over again yeah, it's great it's good stuff it is good stuff yes all right speaking of good stuff joe you got something to take us home on this yeah latest edition
2: of the book of joe yeah. yeah i think he was speaking to me um albert einstein uh pretty good mind i just happened upon this yesterday i thought it was great no one is remembered for being normal <laughs> albert einstein had said that and uh I have all my, my line was, you have to be a little bit crazy to be great. I guess it's kind of the same thing, but no one is remembered for being normal. Albert L. Einstein said that. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> it's very encouraging. It's very you yeah. and Albert.
4: I, yeah. You guys, I could see you guys hanging out together back in the day. Yeah. Back yeah in it's Princeton. very encouraging to me. <laughs> awesome. See you next time, Joe. All right, buddy. Thank you. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury.